Welcome. I'm Anna Ginja, your host of The Anna Ginja Show. I'm an international adoptee who has experienced the pain of rejection and the peace that comes with self-discovery and acceptance. Along the way, I've discovered that I am not alone. In some ways, we are all adopted into or out of homes, cultures, communities, and relationships as we grow and evolve. These experiences create who we are and who we are yet to be. So let's discover how we can be and become our best selves by connecting to the guest and creative content, cradled in the belief that we belong, that we are worthy, and that we are loved in this world. So stay tuned, and you may discover your own adoption story. Now, my adoption story starts when I was an infant, and the adoption agency sent me on a plane to fly from Seoul to San Francisco as my first destination in America before arriving to Colorado, where my adopted parents were waiting for my arrival. Now, for today's episode, I'm going to start with a fact about San Francisco and tie it to our guest story, I promise. So according to the History Channel, and I'll use my very academic voice, on April 18, 1906, an earthquake and subsequent fires devastated San Francisco, California, leaving more than 3,000 people dead and destroying more than 28,000 buildings. The quake ruptured the San Andreas Fault to the north and south of the city for a total of 296 miles. Now, an interesting fact about this quake, that the night before the 1906 earthquake, renowned Italian tenor Enrico Caruso performed in San Francisco. The world-famous opera singer escaped the city's Palace Hotel, where he was staying at the time of the quake. However, the hotel itself was destroyed later that day by fire. Now, how does this all relate to our guest? An earthquake, the San Andreas Fault, and an opera singer? Hmm, very confusing, but we're going to find out today. Our guest is Deborah Rents, and later we will welcome our visiting artist, Stephanie Kendrick, Athens Poet Laureate. But first, let's welcome Deborah. Deborah, welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah, so would you mind sharing your adoption story with us and whatever you think our listeners would like you would like for them to know about you? Absolutely. So, I was adopted as a baby. I was 6 weeks old, and my adoptive family had one son who was 6 years older than me, and then I have a younger brother who's 1 year younger than me. And I grew up always knowing that I was adopted. There was no I don't remember ever having a big reveal session. So it was just very accepted and not secretive at all. So that was nice. Um, I about I, I guess I always told myself that I probably had parents who were teenagers and got pregnant, and that's why I was adopted. That's sort of the scenario that was always in my head. And about 2017, I decided to do the 23andMe DNA testing. Um, the reason I decided to do this was not really to find my birth family, but really to see what sort of DNA profile I might have, if there are any scary diseases lurking. Um, I wanted to be able to prepare my children if there was anything. And my my adoptive family actually had a lot of health problems. So that's really what sort of inspired me to do this. And thankfully, I didn't have anything scary in my DNA profile. So that was good. But about a year later, I received a message on Facebook Messenger from someone who said, I think I'm your first cousin. And would you mind uploading your DNA to this other website? So I did that. And 
started a conversation with this person who was my cousin and then another person who turns out to be my niece. And they had they knew nothing about me. It was a complete shock. They did not know that my birth mother had had me and given me up for adoption. And I think what shocked me was I discovered that she had had some children and then had me and gave me up for adoption and then had more children. And all of her children were raised by her parents, so their grandparents. And again, nobody ever knew anything about me. And it was really shocking to me. And it really hurt for a long time. I I can't even explain why necessarily, but... I guess just this idea that there were children before and after me, but somehow I was given up for adoption. Now, I will say that I had a, an incredible family and am so grateful for the experiences that they gave me. But along the way, as I was having these conversations with my birth family, I just became a little confused because, again, it was all happening through Facebook Messenger, which isn't the best method of communication. And they kept saying, well, your birth mother wants to talk to you, but she's afraid to talk to you. And there was just, I just felt like there was a lot of secrecy and dishonesty about it. And I finally just said, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I've had a great life. Please tell her that not to have any regrets, and I don't need to speak with her right now. I, and I just told them eventually, I, I feel like I need a break from this. I I don't think I want to move forward right now. So that's where we left it, and I haven't heard from anyone in a few years. I think about them a lot. They were lovely people, and it's not their fault, but it just felt like, I don't know, I, I felt like I was intruding on my birth mother's life, or maybe she wasn't ready to talk to me, and that's okay. I don't need that. Yeah, because you started off on this search mostly for medical information, and then you find this different um, angle about your story. Yes, and I, (laughs) they're all in Kentucky, which is where I was born. So not very far away, which is really interesting to me. Um, But yes, that's, that's sort of where that has is is still in just not resolved, but that's okay. It's it's pending. It's a work in progress. Right. <laughs> yes. And you talked about when we had our um, discussion before our interview about um, who you are as in growing up, and you were just sharing with our listeners, too, about that you had a really great life. You had a great family, adopted family. So before all of this, how and even now, I guess, too, how important is being an adoptee to your story? I would say before you found out this information. Oh, sure. I mean, it's. I think it's very important because it's. It's just been my life. I. I told you how I noticed when I was growing up that my adoptive family shared a lot of similarities, and I always sort of felt like I stuck out, <laughs> didn't quite fit in. And it's nothing that they did. It's just that the interests that they shared, their mannerisms, the. The way they looked like each other, and I didn't fit in that way. And to me, that was always really interesting. For example, I'm a musician, and I loved reading, and 
art and music, and they were all sports people, and they loved sporting events. And <laughs> I was always like, oh, I just want to read my book. I don't want to go play softball. So that was interesting to me. And then when I had my own children, it was amazing to see, oh, my gosh, they look like me or they got that trait from me. I can see that because I never had that in my life. And it's just been fun and interesting to see that sort of passed on. I love that. And so um, when you think about your own children and you like you were saying that you're able to see some of the characteristics and traits that have come forth in, in your own children, how do you think that connects to you growing up as an adoptee? Well, I, I know that my parents definitely instilled in me a lot of the things that I think are good about myself as a person, as a human being. Um, they instilled in me a strong work ethic, um, discipline, uh, self-discipline, um, compassion. Mm. <laughs> and I want to pass those things along to my children. The tra- some of the traits that I see in my older son, who I think is a lot like me, is a re- he takes things very literally. He's very thoughtful. He's very observant. And these are all things that we have in common. So when you had your um, children, did it make you think about your biological mother as far as, so you know what it's like to birth a child? Um, did you think about her as she was making the decision to give you up for adoption? I absolutely did, and I still do, to be honest. I think that, oh, you know, (laughs) I just think, how can you give up a baby that you've carried in your body? But at the same time, I know that that is often a sacrifice that people make for the because they want a better life for their child. I don't know if that's why my birth mother did it, but I know that people do make that choice. And I just can't imagine doing that. I, I, I think that would be so – I don't know that I would ever get over it if, if I were forced to make the, a decision like that. Yeah. And I just imagine as you watch your children grow, too, it just becomes more and more of a question about what – and the missing piece of the story in many ways. Absolutely. And I was telling you yesterday that all of my family have passed away, my two brothers and my parents – and so I, you know, I long for a connection for my kids to have to their family that they no longer do, obviously. Um, but yes, I think about that a lot, about just that continuation and family and how important it is to have that support. So how has finding partial partial truths about your biological family has it changed you or maybe it hasn't I think it has changed me in that I really appreciate more my found family mm. and since you know my family has all passed away and and fairly recently my dad and my brother I really lean on my found family and my close friends and that community, and I think that's so important for all of us. It's just opened up my eyes to that importance recently. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think those connections and just even me moving to Athens recently about how you can create community and family in many ways. Yes. In different ways, certainly. Do you think if you could do it over again, would you have, would you take that genetic test again or would you have waited, wish that you would have waited or um, how, how do you feel about it? I would definitely take it because I, again, wanted that medical information. And I think that, you know, something that's I don't really talk about very much, but my younger brother, Carl, needed a kidney transplant in 2001. And I was actually a close enough match to donate a kidney to him, Mm. which at the time, the doctors and nurses were just shocked that I was adopted and we matched enough that I could donate a kidney to him. And so I think for me, again, just the health problems that my family had, I wanted to be, you know, to be informed if if my children had to worry about anything like that. And thankfully, they they do not. Yeah, and as I was listening to your story and then I connect it to my own adoption story, it's this constant discovering of facts and separating the facts from the fiction and finding out and then matching it up to who I am, just who I think I am, too, and then moving forward with that information. And I started off with the show talking about the San Andreas Fault and that earthquake. And because I was thinking about your story, and there's another reason why, too, I was like, heh, 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 uh, tying it all <laughs> together, Anna. But the definition of an earthquake is the sudden, rapid shaking of the ground caused by the shifting of rocks deep underneath the Earth's surface, and I think about you doing that genetic test, getting information about your biological family, sort of as these rapid shaking of the ground that you stand on, of knowing who you are and and the story that you have. Um, so, do you think about like um, how those disruptions and those sudden rapid shakings of who you are has impacted who you are? I do. I again, just that narrative that I always had of why it was adopted and then discovering, oh, that's not what happened at all. And it was so shocking to me and to find out that I have a sister and we did speak via messenger. And again, these are people who are lovely. I have nothing against them. They had nothing to do with this. Um, But just her being so shocked that I existed and that she never knew and I think I told you that my whole life I dreamed of having a sister. <laughs> yeah. And that I think about them so often. And maybe someday we'll come to a point where we can get together and maybe talk and, and learn more about each other. But it, it's not right now. Mm-hmm. And when you were thinking about, I would like to have a sister, what did that mean to you? What did you imagine having a sister would add to your life? I think a companion and maybe somebody who was more who shared my my interests um when i was growing up that's what i envisioned that's what i imagined i don't know if that would have actually happened <laughs> sure well i my sister who is uh, i'm adopted and she's the biological child um when we were in school people would say we would say we're sisters and like no you're not you're just faking it you're just really good friends and you just want to pretend that you're sisters like oh yeah that's my sister she's wearing my sweater and i'm going to kick her butt when we get home kind of thing so oh my gosh. i think that <laughs> i think that you know the relationship between a sister my sister and i are very close um but there are times you know in the sister relationship can be very very complicated as well and i think the imagined relationship of having a sister and the reality of it too are 
um, it, it, it can be complicated as well. But there's lots of love, that's for sure. Yes, that's great. <laughs> and, and I think with any relationship, right, it is complicated. Of course. It's never this, you know, turns out to be this fantasy that you have in your head. Yes. Well, and I think that every relationship that we have in our life, whether it's chosen or found or uh, assigned to us, it's there are lessons there for us to learn about ourselves and to figure out who are we meant to be in this world. Absolutely. Yeah. And you are this amazing musician. So where did that come from? You're, and so I tied the um, San Andreas Fault and the Earthquake to an opera singer. And so tell us a little bit about your love for opera. Yes, and I love that you connected me with Enrico Caruso, who is one of the great, <laughs> greatest singers ever. Um, I don't know where. Well, I suppose my musical inclinations come from my birth family. That is something that I did learn, that many of them are musicians. I played piano as a child and then went to college to study psychology, and I somehow ended up becoming a music minor. I never auditioned for the School of Music. And it's a long story, but somehow I ended up in a class where a class voice class, and the teacher of that class said, you should be a voice major. And somehow I ended up switching my major to voice performance and going to graduate school. And then I moved to Chicago and did quite a lot of performing there. And met my husband and we got married and I traveled around for performing for several years. And now I teach voice here at Ohio University. I just fell into classical singing. Doors just sort of opened and I walked through them. And it's not something that my parents ever listened to or anybody in my family. Although I will say my dad would loved to travel around and see me perform. And that was one of his great joys that he would try to always come to performances if possible. Oh, I love that. And is that the reason why your husband fell in love with you? He heard you sing and just like, well, that is my person. (laughs) It could be. It could very well be because we were, (laughs) this is crazy, but we were living in Chicago and I worked at this place called the Primavera, which was in the Fairmont Hotel. And they hired opera singers, well, all kinds of singers, to come in and sing at night. It was a restaurant. And my husband was the general manager. And so he was actually my boss. Ah. (laughs) And so we met there. And it was a great experience because you were paid to sing. And I I mean, I learned so much about singing when you didn't feel well or when you didn't want to sing. and, And... they would give you months off to go away and do a show and then come back. And it was it was one of the great, great, great jobs of my life. And I met so many great people and friends there, including my husband. Including the love of your life. Yes. So I'm going to do a little something different here. I'm going to say these things and you're going to and if you could tell me how they're connected and why I decided to list these things. OK. Artichoke hearts, roasted garlic, roasted red peppers and basil. Pesto sauce using our aged mozzarella and provolone blend on our house marinara sauce and signature hand-tossed dough. Why would I put all that together? 
I think that must be one of our pizzas at Avalanche in San Andreas, I'm guessing. The San Andreas <laughs> Fault. It's all coming together, Deborah. It's the San Andreas Fault, the earthquake, the opera singer, and Avalanche Pizza, which I was so happy when I got here to Athens. My husband told me I'm going to love it here. And then I got a coupon welcoming me to Athens for um, an avalanche pizza, which I absolutely fell in love with. And that San Andreas Fault is my favorite, no joke, even though I'm, I promise you I'm not just forcing it for the show. Um, but the San Andreas Fault is a delicious. So tell us a little bit about your connection to your husband, San Andreas Fault, and avalanche pizza. <laughs> yes. So my husband and I were living in Washington, D.C., and his mom, Faye, lives here in Athens, and we would come here fairly often, and we just loved it. We loved um, hiking, and we love trees and nature, and so it was. we were getting ready to leave the city. We were ready to move out. So my husband decided to just take a leap of faith and open this pizza place. He had, he had worked in hotels in food and beverage, and he had worked as a waiter in Chicago, but he was also trained as a visual artist, and that is probably where a lot – now I always joke that food is his palate because he makes such beautiful food. I don't know if you've ever seen his breads at the farmer's market. Yes. Yes. So John studied at the Art Institute in Chicago for a while, but that's a whole other long story. But we we just thought, well, let's try it. Why not? What's the worst thing that could happen? So we moved here and we opened Avalanche Pizza, and we've been here since 2000. It's amazing. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to the Anna Ginger Show, and my guest is Deborah Rents. And now I'm going to move into, after that discussion, where I'm quite hungry, and I have been to the farmer's market and bought many, many um, uh, bread from Av- Avalanche Pizza. Um, but for this, our creative interaction segment of the show, this is an amazing story of how I found this poem for today's episode. I was at Uncorked and found this um, poetry period is called periodical poetry, and I thought I would check it out. And then I saw the poem, and I'm like, no way, because I knew that Deborah was going to be on the show. So then I like look at the name. I see that it's the new Athens poet laureate, and I see the last name. And I work with at Ohio University and asked Justin Kendrick, who by the way is amazing. Are you related to Stephanie Kendrick? And he said, that's my wife. I said, oh my gosh, I'm going to reach out to her because she's the perfect person to match to the show, to the episode that we're doing with Deborah Rents. And so that is quite an introduction. So welcome, Steph Kendrick. And before we um, have a little chat, would you please read the poem and then we're going to chat. Thank you so much, Anna. And Deborah. I'm so excited to read this for you. This is (laughs) A well-fed town. There are people in this town who know the cure, the basics of water and flour and need. Is there anything more primitive than hunger? There are people in this town whose hands pay service to community, hands that worked overtime to feed children in pandemic paralysis, hands that shared their starters, pulled all of us into their magic, the creation of dough, an ability to feed others with ingredients that need kept alive. Is there anything more primitive than nurture? Surely there is nothing quite as beautiful. 
Oh, that was absolutely beautiful. And also, would you read the dedication? Yes, thank you. Um, so there is a dedication that serves as an epigraph to this poem, uh, dedicated to Avalanche Pizza, who worked hard during the COVID-19 pandemic to feed the community for free and who shared their beautiful bread starters on multiple occasions, empowering equitable, sustainable food security. Thank you so much. So, Deborah, I don't know if you knew about this poem in advance of our show today, um, but how do you respond to what Stephanie Kendrick has written for you and your husband? I did not know of this poem, and I can't tell you how it makes my heart sing to to see this. It's so generous and beautiful, and I think about all the people— who helped all the people who came together to put the food together and to put those lunches together and deliver them to shut-ins and deliver them to the food pantries and just this whole crew of volunteers. And it was such a beautiful time. And and not the pandemic, but just that so many people came together to help feed hungry people because the thought of people being hungry is – is so devastating to me when we were surrounded by so much and people don't have enough and especially children being hungry. It's like a gut punch. So I think it's so beautiful. Stephanie, I thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you to you, Deborah, and your entire team. It's really important to me as Poet Laureate to honor pillars of service in our community and to highlight that in a community like ours, uh, those pillars aren't always service agencies. Um, So just being able to make bread with my family during the pandemic and then have a beacon to point families that I worked with toward whose kids might have otherwise gone hungry has just really stuck with me in so many in a major way. So thank you so much. Thank you. So as we close, uh, you each get about 20 seconds to answer this question and give advice to our listeners of what they can do to create a world where everyone can feel that they belong, that they matter, that they are, and that they are loved. And we'll start with you, Stephanie. Find a group of like-minded people who are going to empower you, never make you feel bad for your thoughts and opinions, and who are going to tell you that you can do anything. For me, it's find people who share some of the passions that you share. If it's reading, if it's bike riding, if it's being outside, we live in such a beautiful place and finding ways to access that beauty in nature and outdoors, I think, with people helps me feel connected, not only to the community, but to just the earth, (laughs) to where we are. I love it. And I'm going to end with, my love is pizza-shaped. Won't you have a slice? It's circular, so there's enough to go around. And that's a quote from Dora Arode. I don't know who she is, but I love that so much because there's definitely enough love to go, to go around, especially today. So I give a heartfelt thanks to Deborah Rents for sharing your story and Stephanie Kendrick for selecting and reading your poem with us and this wonderful conversation about creativity. Thank you to Adam Rich with WOUB for engineering and editing today's program. As always, you are very much appreciated. Our subject matter expert is Dr. Melissa Rizzo, and our storytelling producer and engineer is Zoe Lambert. Our creative and editing team includes Maddie, Maya, Alexa, Linnea, and Mark, 
And our music producer is Nick Kazurnas, who has been writing genre-twisting songs for over 30 years, including this show's theme song, Way to Me. And I am your host, Anna Ginger, signing off with a reminder that the key to unlocking all things good in this world is love. And here, you are loved in your home. Always a friend and fan, this is Anna Ginja wishing you days filled with love, laughter, and peace. Thank you.